Hi, this is Charles Grodin, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Ed Robertson alone, Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, and our guest, Robert Crane. Bob is the co-author, along with Christopher Fryer, of Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder, a new book whose title is almost completely self-explanatory. The book is a memoir of growing up with Bob Crane as a father before, during, and after Hogan's Heroes, but it also provides a first-person account and commentary of how authorities handled the Bob Crane murder case while also telling us the story of Bob's own life and his desire to find love and permanence in a life where those things continue to slip away. The publisher is UPK, University Press of Kentucky. You can find Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder in bookstores everywhere, as well as Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold online. They started out at Paramount. Filming the interiors, first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Then they moved to Desilu Kawanga in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So here's this. It's very small lot. Hogan's on one soundstage. Dick Van Dyke show oh, in its, I think, final season or two. The, the Renmar Studios. I yeah. Yes. Yeah. On another stage. That girl, oh. Marlo <laughs> Thomas, on another stage. And now I'm forgetting the fourth. There was a fourth show. This is all on this little lot. But it's just, you, you look at also the creative talent behind the scenes. You have Desi Lou, but also uh, Danny Thomas and Sheldon Leonard, yeah. and uh, Bing Crosby yeah. was part Hogan's, of that. But, yeah. you know, it's like they all basically, all the roots go back to Desi Lou, and somehow, because uh, yeah. Andy Griffith, uh, offshoot of Make Room for Daddy, and yes. then that was a franchise. Yeah. It's just oh, That amazing. was the fifth show, Andy Griffith. A- Andy Griffith. Yeah, so, that was the fifth sound stage. And later, yeah. Mayberry RFD, yeah. and... Uh, yeah, that is yeah. amazing, just yeah. that time. Wow. You, you talk about this in Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. Hogan's, I mean, Hogan's Heroes, this, and this speaks to one of the reasons why the show is still on and still being enjoyed and still being discovered today. It was a collaborative effort in every sense of the word. I mean, your, yes. your, 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 your dad was obviously the fuel that drove the engine, but... Uh, he would be the first to admit that he was he was a part. I mean, it's like the show would not have succeeded without a good producer and all the great writers that some of yeah, some absolutely. of we've just mentioned. Yeah, my dad uh, never trusted anybody in his career until Hogan's Heroes because he was he was on the radio. Yeah, he was on Donna Reed. You know, he did little guest things. It was always propelled by himself. Right, you know, he felt nobody knows better what I can do than me until Hogan's Heroes. Edward H. Feldman was the producer. He lined up the cast, the writers, the directors, the crew. He got the whole thing together and ran it for six years. Uh, discussed storylines with the writers. Mm-hmm. And my dad threw it to him. I mean, he believed in them for six years. Post-Hogan's, my dad never found that person again. And wow. career went gliding along. Did the best he could, but he just he, he relied on himself again, and in my mind, he made you know some bad decisions. But it, Edward H. Feldman it steered Hogan's Heroes. Now, the, one of the reasons why, I, just to step back, uh, I was asking about the finale is because there were always rumors that there was a script or there was a story. And uh, when I was hearing these rumors, I was going online searching the fan base, the fan fiction world, have written. 
how the show would have oh, ended. That'd be interesting. Uh, and I've, I've, I had I've, some of them are epic novels. I mean, <laughs> the fan fiction world is is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think some people I read a few and I and I wanted to drop them out saying you realize this was a comedy <laughs> because uh, at the the yeah like I said uh, I wish the show had a finale so we'd know how the war ended yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but some yeah. of them really took a lot of the the historic events that happened in the final days and used that as the backdrop and I thought you know. This is an incredible story. It's yeah. not funny <laughs> yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, but they left no stone unturned yeah. uh, with it. And I just thought, this is amazing. The public never got the never finale, got but the fans created it. Yeah. Uh, one fan had a, a Harry Potter Hogan's Heroes crossover, <laughs> but uh, another one wrote the uh, McHale's Navy Hogan's Heroes wow. crossover. And it's like, there is like this wealth of material that the fans created, The you know, the powers that be. Somebody yeah. said, "This is this is going away. It'll be on the pile yeah. with Gilligan and and, yeah. and and all the rural comedies." But the fans, you you didn't give it to them. They made it up yeah. on their own. I mean, that is well, this, the fan loyalty that you yeah. still have. Well, it, it's the fiftieth year, uh, like you said, Ed. Nonstop mm-hmm. this September, uh, September uh, two thousand fifteen. Fifty years of playing somewhere. Mm-hmm. But what you were mentioning about the no finale, this was the early 70s. This was still back in the day when you didn't sign off yeah. a, a show. We the, the Fugitive? We, we, uh, we, was, other, yeah. other than The Fugitive yeah. um, and the final episode of Dickles with Jim Garner. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there are only a handful of yeah. shows that deliberately had mm-hmm. a final yeah. episode. Yeah. So even if it, even if your dad decided to end the show on his own... They wouldn't have made an event out of it. They probably wouldn't have made... There there wouldn't be an event, and there may not have been a final episode, although I would think there probably would have been, just just given the concept. I can see those front gates of the the camp opening, and, you know, everybody celebrating. Hogan was going to leave through the front gates. Yes, that's right. You're listening to a conversation with Robert Crane that originally aired in June 2015. Robert Crane, eldest son of Bob Crane, and the author of Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's unsolved murder as well as several other books on movies and television besides providing a first-hand account and commentary of how authorities handled the investigation and prosecution of the bob crane murder case bob's book is a poignant memoir of growing up with bob crane as a father before during and after hogan's heroes and in many respects takes us behind the scenes the making of hogan's heroes stay with us folks we'll be right back you made an interesting comment i hadn't thought of this but uh the, the pilot of Hogan was the only show shot in black and white. Yeah, yeah. because because everything yeah. was shot in black and white. You make yeah. the case the show, if 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 they were still doing black and white mainstream, the show would have done better, or maybe maybe done better, or at least been a different type of show had it been shot in black and white. Well, I I was a big combat fan, mm-hmm. and combat started out in black and white, mm-hmm. and it felt cold to me. Yeah. I mm-hmm. felt like I was there. I wanted to put on yeah. a jacket. And it it just you know the only uh, World War II documentaries I had seen were in black and white, so I thought it was a black and white war. Mm-hmm. And then when it had to go to color because people were getting color TVs and ABC said, you know, we want to move combat into color, combat was never as good. So you mentioned the pilot of Hogan's in black and white, and it had that same 
man, I was cold while I watched mm-hmm. that, and I felt like I was there. And it went to color because, you know, their CBS Every, wanted all every, their shows in color. Everything went to color, back. And I, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to argue that it wasn't as good, mm-hmm. but I, I think that black and white look just really sold yeah. it. I think the pilot had a different feel than the yeah. rest of the episode. I, I agree yeah. with it you. Was, it, yes, it was a comedy, but it was a dark comedy. It was yeah. almost, a different, almost a different show. And, I agree with you. And uh, I think also... It was unfortunate that the pilot was not part of many syndication packages. So whenever somebody wanted to debate Hogan's Heroes, and they would bring up little, you know, especially the history buffs that are so OCD, uh, I said, "Did you ever see the pilot?" And and they didn't know what I saw. The black and white pilot. It would have answered everything. And it's like, to me, that and I'd say Taxi are two of the best sitcom pilot examples of what a sitcom pilot should look like. Yeah. You knew everything you needed to know about these people and the plot was in that pilot. It was almost like, this should be in the classroom. This is what your pilot should look like. And uh, Taxi was different because it's just the first five minutes you learned everything you needed to know. But this one, it was so beautifully done. But Werner Klemperer and his interpretation of Klink was much more like Otto Preminger and Stalag 17. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with television situation comedy at that time, he had to kind of evolve into that funny uncle type character uh, that you may not want to sit next to him at Thanksgiving or something. (laughs) But, you know, it it became, you know, the. but of course he gets the cool catchphrases, the Hogan, and just the gestures. But... You know, clinking that pilot, it's you yeah. don't you don't screw with this guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, you I know mean, why? I mean, only Hogan could get away with yes. screwing with this guy. You know why? Because I, to me, the basis of television series, mm-hmm. you have to like the people. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Even well, more than the stories. Yeah. If you like it's the based people, on, it's, it's characters based. It's it's, it's it's creating a set of characters that you want to come back to every yes. week. It's, you have every Sunday at 8.30. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, so, Dr. Smith was different in the pilot. Yes. Uh, yeah. of, of Loss in Space. Right. Same, same yeah. thing, yeah. But uh, I know it sounds weird, uh, funny Nazis, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it, if you're not feeling threatened by Clink uh-huh. and Schultz is just a big, warm, you teddy know, bear. teddy bear, yeah. you're going to tune in every week. Yeah. If you're kind of scared by Clink or he's just too serious, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I think that would have shifted it. And they were, you know, people did their homework. This was a Luftwaffe. This was not the German army. Right, it was a, right. a little, they did not treat the prisoners and, the and, same way. And it yeah. was not a concentration camp. It was not a concentration oh, camp. Yeah. Big point, yeah. And, and some some of the reviewers early on were misconstruing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Concentration camp, not funny. You know, we saw Schindler's List, not, not funny. But POW camp, that's the allies. Yeah. And they're behind enemy lines, and they're. It, this is the day of James Bond, too. Remember, mm-hmm. you know yeah. the uh, Doctor No and uh, Goldfinger had been a big hit, and all the gadgets. So now they're incorporating gadgets. You know, the coffee pot with the uh, speaker yeah. in mm-hmm. it, and all this stuff into and Hogan's. And it wasn't high tech because sometimes yeah. they would depict, especially in a period piece, stuff that would be high tech by moderns. It right. was almost Rube Goldberg yes. like technology yes. that w- it looked like these guys just took whatever was in the garbage can yeah. and made inventions yes. out of them. Yeah. I want to ask you about some of the cast members in just a second. Yeah. First, before we leave this topic, talking about some of the reviewers in the initial reaction. About a year ago, I had Ann Serling. On the program, wow. and Anne has a book, great book, uh, called "As As I Knew Him." My father, Rod Serling, and and I br- I bring this up because 
your dad had Rod Serling on his KNX show all the time. All the time. And yeah. I've got, I've somewhere, either there or on my hard drive, I've got a clip, like of a like a ten minute conversation between your dad and Rod Serling, and they seem to enjoy each other. Yeah. In real life, but Rod Serling hated, with a passion, hated Hogan's Heroes. Wow. Wow. And I think he understood the concept, yeah. but because and, and this speaks to who he was as a person, as a you know, as, as a war veteran and as someone who hated discrimination, who hated right. to, to, to tell. I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this in post production. To tell. <laughs> Um, totalitarian. Thank you. In every sense of the word, yeah. it was it the, the the idea of a funny comedy about Nazis or war just yeah, was yeah. it it and, was distasteful to him. And so, I've known two friends whose fathers were prisoners of war. Yeah. One in uh, Europe, one uh, in the Pacific, and the prisoners in the Pacific had uh, it, it was horrific what they went through. They were fans of the show. Yeah, I mean, you went through that, and then you know this is your favorite show when it's on uh, CBS. And I think part of it also was you went through that experience. You'd like to see the enemy once a week get slapped around, and, 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 and that kind of that kind of speaks yeah. to the real life experience of people like Warner Klemperer yep. and Robert Clary and John Banner and John Banner, and I mm -hmm. think either Feldman or some of the other writers on the show who you know if they didn't lived through concentration camps themselves, they had relatives who did. So yeah. they, it, it, it was personal to them, and yet they were able to turn it around. So. Yeah, well, that, that was the, the weird part, too, about the early criticism for some of the reviewers who were confusing a POW camp with a concentration yeah. camp. Many, Ed Feldman down, many of the writers, cast members, directors, and Ed Feldman were Jewish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Robert Clary LeBeau on the show has the numbers tattooed on his arm. He was in a concentration camp during World War II. I think John Banner's parents were killed. Yeah. I think he made it to the States and he got work. Yeah. Leon Askins was uh, in the service. He was in like the uh, Signal Corps or something like that. Yeah. So uh, he uh, was uh, able to get out. Werner Klemperer. Werner, yeah. I think, in the U.S. Army. Yeah, they, he was in the Pacific. Yeah. So they, they, they went through the war, but they all escaped. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. they fought on... on uh, on, on the Allied side, in yeah. some form or another. But it, I, yeah. I love Rod Serling, and I yeah. respect his opinion. Any, anything he ever wrote, brilliant. But you know what? Three years after Hogan started in 1965, there was a little Mel Brooks film called The Producers. Uh, <laughs> Remember Springtime for That's Hitler? Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So when I saw that, I thought. Now, anybody criticizing Hogan's, wait a minute. Mel Brooks has taken it yeah. all the way to the end of the pier yeah. Yeah. and back. Any Mel Brooks film is going to slap around the Third Reich. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about a guy who served, yeah. Uh, yeah. who fought there and had you know what we would now call you know, post-traumatic stresses. Right. He couldn't sleep. He had yeah. horrible insomnia. Every time yeah. he closed his eyes, he was back in the war. And it took... Decades and decades to work through some of that. So yeah, that that. Yeah. But he, it's kind of like our grief conversation earlier. You have the choice of the sense of humor to move forward, yeah, or not. Yes, yeah. and that's how he deals with it. Yeah. yeah, and he won an Oscar for the screenplay. He yeah. certainly did. And so far as I know, I mean, his his you know Serling's feelings about the show aside, I mean, 
so far as I know, he remained friends with your dad oh, yeah. up until uh, the very end. Uh, I, my dad, I think, supplied the voice of a disc jockey or something for a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. And I think, so. and, and and I think your dad appeared on the uh, on the Liars Club when when Serling. Yeah. Oh that yeah, show. that's right. So Liars would, Club. Wow, <laughs> that is wow. a game show. I would love to see yeah. either Comedy Central or somebody. The pilot is available on YouTube, and, it, and wow. the pilot mean the the, the, the Serling version because okay. I know I know Alan Lutt. I mean, Hovis brought it back in yeah. the mid seventies, and mm-hmm. Alan. Lennon was the host. Yeah, Larry Hovitz was a master on that show. I mean, he really was able. But it was just a fun show. Uh, And it was, instead of knowing trivia, you just had to be able to read professional actors and comedians who can bamboozle people, for not saying another word, easy enough. And... uh, you really had to study body language and all that to figure out, okay, who's telling the truth and who is lying because right. they're all – it wasn't so far-fetched. It was just that plausible yeah. BS that they had to spin. And yeah. it was – your dad, Larry Hovis, especially – Richard Dawson also, I think. Yeah, I think Larry a, got everybody from the show yeah. on it at some point <laughs> it or another. Was, yeah. it, it was like this is an art form. Yeah. This is this, – this is why attorneys make millions of dollars yeah. if they're a good litigator. Yeah. Because this, but it just to study professionals, whether they were in the world of comedy or, or more serious, you know, acting professionals, just to study how they could take uh, this funny-looking object and tell you that this was a prosthetic heart <laughs> from World War II. Yeah. That you know, so the Germans were experimenting with this, and this is what it looked like. And it looked like you know something a kid made in woodshop. <laughs> And, you know, so, and 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 somebody, yeah, I believe that yeah. you know, and, yeah. and 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 the contestants weren't stupid or gullible. Yeah. It was like it was, yeah, it was, it, was really it was it was like the flip side of to tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was. Yeah, it, it, exactly that. Yeah. but yeah. it was a, a piece of art or an object. Uh, so it, it was always something tangible that they could see. Yeah. And uh, you know, people could just. And it was fun. I mean, even the people that lost, that was like. You didn't see any disappointment. They just, oh, wow, you got me. You know, that was, yeah. It reminds me of the SCTV sketch, What's My Shoe Size? (laughs) (laughs) Where the the four uh, panelists are, you know, blindfolded. And John Candy, uh, Eugene Levy was the host of the show. And John Candy came out, and he's like got size 16 shoes. (laughs) And they have to guess his shoe size. It was, and they filmed it in black and white. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Our guest this hour is Robert Crane, co-author of Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. We'll take a quick time out, then we'll continue our conversation with Bob Crane here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 
or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.